Welcome to Zoni Living. How would you like to be more visible? How would you not only like to be more visible, but also be seen as such an expert in your field that the media is knocking at your door for an interview? With all the amazing technology literally at our fingertips and all the platforms we have as our stage, we truly have the ability to really star in our own lives, to be powerfully visible, and to share a message that is uniquely ours. The trick is to stand out in a polished and a professional way. The problem is most of us aren't naturally good at promoting ourselves or being on camera, using a microphone, or being interviewed. Our guest today can help us with that. She's a highly experienced, savvy, and enormously successful publicist, media insider, trainer, coach, and former broadcaster. Her secret is not only positioning, securing, and helping authors and entrepreneurs and business leaders capture media attention and deliver compelling interviews, she also helps them become media darlings. In fact, that's the name of her book, Media Darling, Shine Through Every Interview. Joanne McCall joins us now from Cooper Mountain in Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Bonnie, it's such a pleasure to be here. What an introduction. I tell you, who is that person? Sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> she is very interesting. We're going to learn more about her right now because she has, you have, this wonderful reputation as a publicist. And early in your career, you were a well-known broadcaster on the radio. But what most people don't know is you were practicing for that role uh, long before you had it. In fact, as a little girl, I love that story you shared with me. Would you please share it with us? Yeah, but I can't believe you're bringing it up now. Okay. <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah, well, I was one of those little kids. I still remember being in the bathtub. You know, your mom makes you take a bath, taking a bath and, and reading the shampoo bottles, the back of the shampoo bottles, pretending I was doing uh, commercials. So I just thought that was so much fun. Uh, I don't know that I was actually envisioning myself having that career, but I think I probably was. I love it. So that's it. really how it started. So did you use the bottle as a microphone? I used the brush as the microphone. Oh, there you go. But the bottle was kind of like my <laughs> teleprompter. I was reading it. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I used to I used to read out loud to my dog, and he, he loved it because I was just talking to him. Oh, yeah, but I'm sure he did. In your radio career, you were interacting with many publicists, public relations professionals, people who were pitching you story ideas and clients to have on the air, and some were very good, and I'm sure some were not as good. So how did that impact you? Oh, my goodness. I remember times... Uh, uh, having a publicist pitch me their particular client and I would have the guest on the air and I think eh, the guest was kind of mediocre. I should have had the publicist on the show because <laughs> she was pretty good. Um, so some of them were really good. Others, I remember another woman who she wanted her a guest on my uh interview radio show and she would leave me two minute voicemail messages every single day and that went on for like a week and I thought not only am I not going to have your guest on but I don't ever want to work with you again so <laughs> that I made mental note of that that's yeah. uh, you don't want to do that and it's that line between you want to be persistent because in any kind of work you have to be persistent but sure. pesky is a line you don't want to cross over because then it just doesn't work boy and you so. feel that every time they reach out you can feel that in the email you can see that in the voicemail. 
I know what you're talking about. Well, now let's talk about what a media darling is. And in your book, you list 12 fundamental qualities that define a media darling. The first key message or the first key element of a media darling would be attitude. Oh, very good. Attitude really is everything. It's how you approach an interview. It's how you approach a producer or whoever you might be working with. And it's also the attitude you take when surprises happen and things go wrong, and they will. So if you're doing a show and something happens with technology and something's not working, I'm sure none of us have had that situation <laughs> no, before, right? No, never, never. Um, <laughs> so things happen, surprises, sure. and it's how you deal with them, and it's how you come across dealing with them. Everyone wants to work with people who are easy to work with, and when you have a good attitude, you handle difficulties with grace and with ease, it's just going to go better. People will like you more, you'll like them more. Another example of a surprise is like if a major news story breaks and suddenly the show that you were going to do, they have to go to their, you know, their their affiliate news um, network or whatever, uh, and you're bumped. And oh, it yeah. happens. Oh, that's so, so heartbreaking. Yeah, but you have to have a good attitude sure. about that. It's like, you know, I understand. Of course, you have to do your job. I'd love yeah. to come back when it's appropriate and then get out of there. You right. Know, so yeah. Things like that. Oh, my gosh. And through COVID, we've all had so many surprise things happen, people getting sick all of a sudden. And so your plans are canceled and didn't go through. So disappointing. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, what a media darling is not. But I love that you you talk about that in your book as well. So tell us some things not to be. Uh, Don't be a prima donna. (laughs) It just does not Not go very well. And I have seen this a number of times, particularly with people who are very successful in their field, in their industry, whether it's a CEO or, you know, whatever, they're successful in their industry and they're used to people catering to them in some way. But if you're going out into the media, the media doesn't know you necessarily. Maybe they do, but they might not. So if they don't, you can't expect that kind of treatment. Uh, You're just you're not someone they know. And so even pitching you can be challenging because, again, they don't know who you are. So don't be a prima donna. That's that's a big one. Um, You don't want to be late. I shouldn't even have to say that, but, you know, I do. And I notice more and more often people uh, are showing up late to interviews. Um, I was watching a an Instagram. I was scrolling through Instagram and one of my contacts was doing a live. And so I thought, well, this should be interesting. Let me see what's going on. So I stopped and up came the sound and I hear her saying, I can't believe she's late to this interview. Oh, no. My guest was supposed to be here at such and such a time, and and she's late. I can't believe that she's late. Wow. After a while, the guest shows up, and everybody's all happy. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, she's going to see that later on. Oh, she's going to see what you said. So um, I, I, that's probably something a guest or a, a host should never do. Don't berate right. your guest. And you say it, you say that in your book. You say always figure that your mic is live, and, yes. and, and be careful of everything you do and say. But I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, that's that's fine. It just that one applies to both the guest and the host. You don't want to be late, and then you don't want to say 
negative things about someone that they're going to see later. Oh, boy. So, yeah, yeah never, so, never a good idea. Well, you've worked with a great number of authors and professionals. You've helped them be smooth, memorable guests for podcasts and television programs and also secured interviews for them with top tier news organizations, publications like The New York Times and others. And in fact, you've sent some of your authors our way. We we're so grateful for on Zoni Living. Um, people like Rabbi Daniel Cohen and his latest book that he was talking about, What Will They Say About You When You're Gone? Creating a Life of Legacy. And recently, Dr. Michael Glauser and his book, One People, One Planet, Six Universal Truths Through Being Happy Together. Now, we would think that authors and profess professors and other professionals would be really great at speaking, and of course, speaking about their books. Um, and, and these were, these were fantastic speakers, but why is this kind of training so important for all of us? I'm betting that they practiced. Yeah. Yes, no one is born with these skills. In fact, if you're watching an interview and you see someone who makes it look really easy, you can bet they've been trained or they have a lot of experience and often it's both. It's similar to watching a fantastic dancer up on stage. I could do that because mm -hmm. they make it look easy. Right. And then you try and it would not be so good, right? <laughs> the Olympics so, I mean, do that. Yeah. yeah. Right. The Olympics, yeah. the same thing. That's an excellent example. So uh, they make it look easy, but it takes it takes some practice and all too often I see people go out and they say oh yeah I can do an interview and they go out and they just wing it and it's this disaster well speaking uh, of disasters one of your books one of the stories in your book was uh, about a client you had all these great um, interviews lined up with big media in New York and you must have been really thrilled and excited for this person and right out of the shoot this person's on CNN and and tell us how that interview went oh my gosh I have to give you a quick setup with that. You bet. So this particular gentleman was out of Los Angeles. He was a branding expert and he had written a book. So we were starting the process of getting interviews for him and getting coverage for his book. And it just so happened that he, he traveled all around the country speaking and doing seminars. And right after we decided to work together, he came to Portland. So I went and I saw him for a couple of days and he was fantastic. He knew how to relate with his audience. He he spoke his key messages. He was light. He was funny. He was serious. He was all these different things. And I thought, OK, great. This is great. He's going to be wonderful. And he told me that the number one thing he wanted was national TV in the worst way. That is what he wanted. So I said, OK, I said, well, I think what we do is we wait for a celebrity to do something bad uh, because, you know, how long would we have to wait? Probably not that long because someone's always doing something. Oh, sure. And, you know. So we waited and we continued doing other things. But the moment came. So this is a few years ago. This is when Martha Stewart uh, was. Um, accused of insider trading oh, and the yes. moment that broke it was and the media went nuts and they yeah. and I sent out a notice to all the networks and everybody and I said hey I got somebody and he can talk about how she needs to repair her brand now what she needs to do well they were all over it right. the first one was CNN Wolf Blitzer was doing a show oh, I Wolf, think it was sure I think it was called story of the day or top story of the day or something at that point and uh, so it was like in two hours he had to be on this show and they were out of New York. My client was in L.A. So we had to get to a, a studio. We didn't have this. We didn't have Zoom in those days. Right? right. He had to be in a studio to do this. So get him in there. And I'm in my office watching. And so then the show starts and you got the music and then Wolf comes on and he says, this is the story of the day at a Martha Stewart, blah, blah, blah. And then he brings up my client. 
And uh, I'm in my office and I see him. And remember, he's in a room alone. Maybe there's oh. one other person pointing at him, go, but he's just got a camera, you know. <laughs> it's the first time to. he's done. Oh, boy. He looked like a deer in the headlights. Oh, no. I mean, his eyes were like open. <laughs> and I'm in my office like this, like I can't look. <laughs> but I looked, I mean, I kind of peeked between oh. the fingers. And I thought, oh, my God, you know. And so, and to make it worse, they brought in a communications PR expert that they brought up on a split screen. So we've got my guy like this, oh, right, you know, the no. big eyes. And this guy who's fabulous, of right, course. of course. Yeah. He looks great. He's smooth. He's, you know, talking. It's oh, just no. this side disaster. Side. Oh. It was, so, um so, and I will confess here, I felt bad for him. I really did, because he was in this very difficult position that he had to get through for four minutes. <sighs> me, I'm also feeling bad for me because I can hear every producer, because I have interviews lined up the entire next day for him, <laughs> national, all day. And I can see them all blowing up in front of my eyes, and they never want to work with me again because oh. I got this guy who can't, you know, can't perform. <laughs> oh, and uh, uh, so, okay, so finally it ends. And mercifully. And uh, so I, I send him a note and I said, so trying to be neutral, you know, how did it go? And he, to his credit, he writes back, I sucked. Oh. And I thought, good. Okay. He knows I have leverage. Meanwhile, I had called a media trainer friend of mine in LA. I said, you have to see this guy tonight. I don't care. I don't care if you have a date. I don't care what you're doing. You're canceling. You have to see this guy tonight. I have interviews all day tomorrow. I said, you've got to see him. She finally said yes. So they met for three to four hours that night. And then the next day, I think the first interview was with the Today Show or something, oh, right? Wow. This is the second interview. He's on the Today Show and and it was better. I'm in my office like this again, you know, because it's um, <laughs> and so this time I, your parents or your grandparents might remember an old comedy duo called Laurel and Hardy. Of course. Yeah. OK, so Hardy was the the chubby one, I think, I right? Think so. And Laurel yes. was the real thin one mm -hmm. with the grin. Perfect. So this interview, my client had the grin, you know, it was better. Not great. <laughs> Not great. You still need better. a little training. So oh. the interviews went on. By the end of the day, he was really very good. By the last one, he was good. And what I learned is I want you to be good at the first one. Yeah. We want you to be good the first time out of the gate. Not after 10 interviews. Now, now, was that the moment you decided that all your clients would be going through media training or you would yes. make sure that they were trained? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they would either go through the training uh, or they'd ha they had to, you know, prove to me that they could handle it. So oh, I would need to see you. footage of other interviews you've done. And even then, if you have a new book out or a new product out or a new business or new anything, you still need some training because you have new key messages. You have new things that you need to emphasize. It's always good. And if you can't hire a media trainer for whatever reason, you can do mock interviews and do it yourself on camera. You Absolutely. can have someone ask you your questions. You yeah, know, I have a great example. I think one of my most painful experiences um, when I was working for a large organization, you know, a national organization, and the leader was being interviewed by a CBS reporter. Uh, it, you know, it was no surprise. He was, the, the organization was suffering in the public eye because there was a lot of mistrust. So they had lost uh, trust. They've lost faith in this organization. The reporter asked a challenging question. It wasn't an unexpected question. And that's really our whole point here, that the leader of this huge organization 
froze on camera and there was this long awkward pause but Joanne this was a taped recording and so I'm sure he thought that would be edited out but that's the other thing we need to remember we're not in control when it's a taped re recording and so that pause just you know he, he's a nice person and probably thinking he didn't want to say the wrong thing or hurt the agency but that silence just felt like made him and the organization look guilty and and that was painful wow. to watch and that was a moment that I'll always remember because that's when I ramped up my media training workshops and promoted them heavily through the organization of course I continue teaching those today but that was kind of a de defining moment for me too wow yeah, that's a big one. Uh, and you're right. I mean, to assume that because it's recorded that they're going to fix it and make everything oh, yeah, look, make you great look great yeah. is a wrong assumption. Well, you don't have control over that. So you really you have to not. bring your A game. You know, and then I know a lot of people don't, uh, they keep themselves small. They don't become more visible um, for a number of reasons. And I know, uh, I'm sure you deal with us all the time. Fear, fear is huge. Fear of things going badly. Uh, fear of being on camera, hearing what they sound like, all those things. What do you, how do you help people with fear? Well, there are a number of different ways, but one, one that really stands out that is helpful, I think, for anyone, and that's this. I was with a client of mine in the green room, and he was about to go out and do a segment on television, and he was nervous. He was nervous, and we stood up. He was ready to walk out into the studio, and I looked at him, and I said, okay, I said, tell me this. Who are you here to talk to? Who is it that you are giving your message to? And he, he answered, and it, it happened to be people who, he was a personal finance guy, and it was to help people to, you know, handle their money. He had specific tips on, on how to handle your taxes and your money and all of that kind of thing and resolve difficult problems. I said, okay, so you got people out there who really don't know how to handle their money, and you are the one who's, who's to help them. Can you picture the person? And he says, yes. I said, do you know what you're going to say to them? He says, Yes. And he went out and did a great job. And all it took was focusing on the other person instead of yourself. You know, brilliant advice. You're kind of helping them look past the camera and imagining the person that they're talking to. And you're getting them out of their heads and out of that. I, I think when, when the red light goes on on cameras, people kind of have a, a, a brain fog. Do you experience that too? And then the fear, of course, of going out there and, and psyching yourself out. Uh, but how about the people that really have a great message to say? I work with a lot of scientists and inventors, and and they're very interesting. And the work they're doing is sometimes, uh, you know, world-class science and really something that can help all of us. But they don't know how interesting they are. So I don't know if you've come across this. I, I used to work uh, with a lot of foresters. And one was a uh, forest um, entomologist, and he was studying the bark beetle infestation. That was a big problem for the forests all across the, the West. And I came by his lab, and his lab is uh, usually very quiet, very studious. I, I, of course, stick my head in, and I find out that they are learning that uh, you can disrupt bark beetle behavior by loud noises, and so they were trying all different kinds, and they were using clean, and they were using we will rock you, and so I thought that was hilarious for one, you know, and then and then just these really serious scientists that were like studying these tiny little bugs, and so, you know, I had to tell that story, and yeah. then before we knew it, that story, you know, there's USA Today, all any number of publications that wanted to tell the story too, but I thought that was a really good lesson because people don't realize how 
how interesting they are. And this is exactly the kind of story that people will talk about the next day. Oh, and uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, fantastic. so I'm sure you run into that, too, where people um, just really don't realize how powerful their message is or that they even have one. Oh, um, often, often that's the case, because if when you're really good at something, you don't always think that it's anything. I mean, have you ever talked to someone or met someone or worked with someone? They're doing something really fascinating, but to them, it's like, yeah, that? Oh, anybody can do that. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, actually, no, not anybody can do that. You can do that. I had, I, I don't have an example as wonderful as that one was. <laughs> that's a great story. Um, but I did work with a woman who she was a developer of, of homes, developments out at the Oregon coast. And so we were talking about how she can promote her business and that sort of thing. And uh, through talking to her for like an hour, it finally came out that when she develops homes, they cut down as few trees as possible and they create the homes so that the, the nature takes precedence and everything oh, else okay. works around that. They build around the natural landscape. That's beautiful. I said, well, that's the story. Yeah. Yeah. And we did get coverage from that. But she had no idea. She didn't know that that was. That was just natural that for her. Even, right. Yeah. Right. She didn't even think about it. So, so right. Sometimes you need another pair of eyes, another pair of ears to listen to what you're up to and what you're doing that can give you um, an idea and feedback that can help you to move forward and let you know how special you are. Oh, that's so true. And that's something that you as a coach do all the time, I'm sure. Um, well, let's talk about audiences. I think that's important for people to know, too, that uh, and I think you say in your book, if you're trying to reach everybody, you will reach nobody. And so uh, one of the examples I have, I think we can remember the um, BP, British Petroleum spill, oil spill off of the uh, Gulf of Mexico. And yeah. you may remember they brought, uh, BP brought in their CEO, who is this very um, sophisticated, dapper British gentleman who did not look like anybody who lived there and uh, did not sound like anybody who lived there. And so anything he was trying to say didn't sound sincere. And then, of course, there was that final line where he was just tired of being hounded by the media, where he says, uh, I, I want my life back. I want to get my life back. And so uh, almost everything they did, putting this gentleman, I know, I know when people are losing their businesses and the environment and all the damage and, and the deaths of of people on that rig and um, just so much turmoil. So so we he really was not the right guy for the audience. And I think right. sometimes we think that the person in charge is the person we need to put out in front of the camera, but but not so, not so in, in, um, in a lot of situations. Would you agree? I would agree, and I would guess that someone lost their job and maybe a whole team lost their jobs based on that. Yeah. Because that would have been a bad move, obviously. Oh. Uh, and the PR department. I mean, these corporations have PR departments. Yes. Um, so that was badly played. I will say there was a big problem with Southwest Airlines, you may remember, over the holidays, where, I mean, so many, they had old software and all these flights got canceled and they were showing airport shots of luggage, you know, from oh. wall to wall. It was seas yeah. of luggage and people don't know where their luggage was and they couldn't get flights and it was just bad. But, and I remember writing on social media, I said, thankful today I'm not on the Southwest Airlines PR team <laughs> because I was, you know, um, thankful that I wasn't. Yes. But, but they did. They did. I mean, it was a horrible situation, but they did play it well. They had their CEO on every day apologizing. So they took responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. um, he was on several times and it seemed really sincere and authentic. They still had lots of problems and sure. things to deal with. But, time. but 
they did a good job with that, I thought. so. Yeah, well, it's, it's yeah. tough. You know, crisis management is tough, but you always have to appear authentic and sincere and have some answers. You know, what's going to happen? What, how are we going to fix this? Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely critical. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. well, you also offer tips for hosts. And since so many of us are hosting podcasts or want to be hosting podcasts, can you offer your three best tips for hosts when conducting interviews? And I hope I haven't violated any of those today. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Because the first one I would say is don't compete with your guest. Oh, good point. As I see this so often, uh, a, a podcaster will have a guest on and they'll ask a question, the guest will answer, and then the, it goes to the podcaster and they go on for, you know, 10 minutes, mm -hmm. maybe not that long, but a long time. And sometimes there's competition as to who has the best answers. And I think when you're going to have guests on, you really want to shine the spotlight on them. You can certainly add because it is a conversation. So that's good. But I'm talking about when it when it gets competitive. And that's uncomfortable, actually, to watch. So that's, yeah. I would say, the first thing. The second thing is we um, shared a story earlier about not putting down your guest before they arrive. Yes. Uh, that's a bad thing to do. Yeah, it's it's just, just I mean, that, yeah, it seems like common sense, but I see people do it, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, and a third one, I think, would be, well, let's see. Oh, get get to the heart of it. Don't... Um, don't 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 be late. Don't spend the first 10 minutes of the interview just kind of chit chatting. And this may be this is probably more for the audience when they come and they take their valuable time to come and listen to your show. They want to get to it. You know, mm -hmm. they're busy, too. And if you're spending 10 minutes congratulating each other on how wonderful you are, mm -hmm. you know, not everybody is all that interested in that. Sure. So get right to get right to the interview. Get right to it. That's and, you know, I've seen. Have you heard this thing that. The human uh, attention span is less than a goldfish now. <laughs> I don't know how they judge that. I don't know. I, I know didn't I research it that. to find out about. Yeah, less than a, a goldfish. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's definitely shortened. So you, you want to get to the point on things. And that's true of, of everything now. It's really yeah. getting to the point. Very good. Yeah. Well, I found so. it fascinating also to read about what you call the inner game of media. Um, please explain what, what you mean by that. So we all know the outer game. The outer game is the results. It's when you see the interviews or it's even coming up with the ideas for interviews. It's pitching the media. It's setting up the interviews. It's delivering. It's all of that stuff out there. The inner game is what you're doing before you even go out there. So it's what you're telling yourself. Like, are you saying things like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm I, I'm not I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not old enough. I'm uh, not experienced, you know, whatever. Yeah. That people have all kinds of things going on inside. Uh, and I have found through working with people that one of the greatest indicators is this. If you say you want to do something such as I want to get out there and do podcasts mm -hmm. and you're not doing anything to actively do it, there's something in the way. Now, it could be timing. It could be, you know, something's going on and you really can't. But on the other hand, it could be you're scared. Um, you don't know if you really can do it. You wouldn't know where to start. How, you know, how do I move forward? So there's like a procrastination. That tells you there's something going on in the inner game. You go in and can kind of figure that out. Then moving into the outer game is so much easier because you don't have those inside things standing in your way. Yeah. Wow. We don't want to be our biggest enemy. 
you have so much great wisdom and training for your clients. But here's something that I didn't know before I was reading your book. You're a licensed business master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming and also a licensed advanced hypnotic practitioner. So help us understand what these things are, what they mean, and how those skills serve you and others. It really relates to the inner game, and it's a, it's a particular interest of mine. How can we do things better? I'm always looking at that. How can I be better at what I'm doing? How can I help my clients be better? And NLP, or Neuro Linguistic Programming, is something that was developed by Dr. Richard Bandler. And I met him back in 2008. I was talking with his publisher, and I said, hey, what do you have coming up in the fall? And she says, well, we have a couple of books by uh, Dr. Richard Bandler. And I said, the Richard Bandler? She said, yeah, you know him? I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So she hired me to work on two of his books. And so working with his material, uh, it just seeped me in it even more, and I saw such value in it. And so I booked interviews for him and learned more and more about it myself. So really, as it relates to working with my clients and working with other people, it's how to bring out the best in them so that they can get what they want. Because NLP really is the study of subjective, it's a subjective study of success. How can you do things better? How can you learn better? And how can you do it more quickly and easily? Uh, and so that's that's really how I use it. So I help my clients who maybe have some fear or have some things in their inner game that are standing in the way of them getting the things that they really want to have. Wow. So the things yeah. you bring to the table are fascinating. So is this also working with the subconscious mind and working on that inner game? Very much so. Very much so. I have an example of a story when I was doing a mock interview with a client and we were we had a videographer there taping the whole thing. And I was asking, I asked her a question that was kind of one that was difficult for her. And it was meant to be because we wanted right. to come up with some good answers to difficult questions. So she started to answer it and then she leaned over and she she touched her ankles and she rubbed her legs, she rubbed her hands up her legs back up into her lap. Huh. And I was looking at that and she continued talking. She did it again. So she did it a second time and stroked, stroked her legs. And so I said, I stopped the camera and I said, what was that? And she huh. said, what was what? Wow. And I said, I said, roll the tape again. So we rolled the tape and it showed her doing this. And she says, I didn't do that. And well, you know, you can't really argue with that very for very long, <laughs> right? And uh, so then she came to realize that her nervousness and the unconscious was trying to alleviate the nervousness. And it did it by this, this behavior that she wasn't consciously aware that she was doing. So how are we all doing that? That's the beauty of doing mock interviews and getting in, in kind of high pressure situations to see what comes out. Sure. And some people will, you know, they'll fiddle with, you know, their hair or they'll, they'll tap their feet or they'll do something. And when you're watching for these things, you, you want to pick up on them because it communicates something to the audience. And usually it's not favorable. So you want to train that out so you're not doing that. Yeah, well so you basically, point. Yeah. Well, well put. You, uh, you don't want people taking away from the message that they're trying to communicate. Very well synthesized, yes. Well, toward, exactly right. Toward the end of the book, Joanne, you talk about the most important qualities in a media darling. And, and I think my favorite is you say, uh, you know, bring your enthusiasm. And, and we're talking about that off the top of the show, we're talking about, you know, if all goes wrong, and things will, um, having a good attitude and bringing enthusiasm is, is really powerful for your success. 
Absolutely. Being excited about your message, about your book, your product, your business, whatever it is that you're sharing with people is essential. If you're excited, other people will feel the excitement and they'll feel it too. If you're there all looking bored and talking about, oh, this is a really great, uh, this is a really great thing that you ought to get. You know, it's just not very convincing. It's not congruent. So you want to be enthusiastic because you're sharing something you want others to be enthusiastic about. Very simple, but so powerful. So powerful. Yeah. Well, as always, Joanne, I love talking with you. I applaud your high standards that you set for yourself and for your clients. You really want people to be prepared to have done their homework and to show up the best that they can be. And your book feels like you're talking straight to the reader. We all feel like we're your clients, which is wonderful. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. And best of luck with your new book. I know you're doing lots of interviews with Media Darling, Shine Through Every Interview. And we do thank have a, uh, yeah, we have, we have information on how to get that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Bonnie. What a pleasure to be here. I so appreciate it. It was so much fun talking with you, and I can't wait it to was. catch up again. Joanne McCall's book is truly a step-by-step -step boot camp for how to look and sound your best, whether it's on Zoom or in a network news interview. Media Darling, Shine Through Every Interview is published by The Right Publishing House. You can find it on Amazon in many places, and you can also reach Joanne at joannemccall.com. Plus, you can read more about her at FlagstaffBusinessNews.com and QuadCitiesBusinessNews.com. I hope you've picked up some powerful tips for your next presentation or your next interview. And most of all, I hope you're inspired to share your message. This is Zoni Living, Business, Adventure, and Leadership. I'm Bonnie Stevens. <laughs>